Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March 11, 2016. This is episode, uh, uh, what episode is it? It's uh, 1400. And it's 1,742 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, today's show is called Emancipate Yourself. Also, it would be proper to say free yourself. Exactly what we're going to talk about. You'll have to hold on a bit for that while I take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one is always let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is jmbullion.com. When I'm looking for silver or gold, I go to jmbullion.com, and I'll tell you why. They're a small enough company that I can personally communicate directly with the president, Michael, at any time of my choosing. And that means as, uh, as someone that's endorsing them, if you ever have a problem that doesn't get resolved by their customer service, which is 99% of the time stellar anyway, I can make sure that it gets taken care of for you. And I think that's really important in my sponsors. Next is pricing. The entire point of buying silver and gold is it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. You get the same Silver Eagle from JM Bullion as you do from Atmex or Monex. It's exactly the same. It's the same purity, it's the same weight, it's the same design, it's the same cut. It is the same. It's like buying a Wilson basketball, whether you buy it from you know Walmart or Academy Sports and Outdoors. It's the same. That's the point. So why pay more? So why not deal with a company that's a small company, that has great customer service, that offers free shipping on all orders, and has better pricing when you're buying the same thing. Now, why silver and gold? I'm not an all-in guy. I'm not the guy that like, you need to get out of the dollar, they're going to burn it to the ground, it's going to be worthless tomorrow, by the way, give me your dollars and here's some silver. I'm not that guy. But I do know that the plan for our money is a continued devaluation through the process of inflation, which is a hidden tax on the wealth of the American people. And I know that's the case because the former chairman of the Federal Reserve said so on the floor of the United States House of Representatives while being questioned by Ron Paul. He admitted that and said, it's okay. That's the way the system works. It's supposed to work that way. Well, if that's the plan, then my plan is to make sure I have a wealth assurance policy. We talk about insurance a lot, but assurance is, is equally important. And the way I personally do that is I have 10% of my net wealth, roughly, in silver and gold. I recommend that you do something similar. My personal recommendations are that you consider uh, a wealth assurance program of 5% to 10% of your net wealth in hard commodities like silver and gold. And if you need silver and gold, I can't give you a better recommendation than JM Bullion. Check them out today. And remember, members of our support brigade, you do get a discount on larger orders from JM Bullion. Check the benefits section of your MSB account to learn more about that. Sponsor of the day number two today is Backwoods Home Magazine, the easiest company that I've ever had to endorse ever in my entire career. Um, it's really easy to endorse a company. When you can look back and say to yourself, I've been this company's customer for over 20 years. That's what Backwoods Home is to me. 1994, I became a subscriber to Backwoods Home. I didn't even start the Survival Podcast till 2008. I was their customer for all of those years. In the early years of the Survival Podcast, a lot of the information that I shared with you, a lot of the teaching that I did came right out of Backwoods Home magazine. They're an incredible company. And hey, if you haven't been a, a customer that long, consider going back and checking out some of their anthologies. They have anthologies going back to the very first year of public 
publication at Backwoods Home. If you want to get a subscription, you're a new subscriber. They have a deal for you in the Member Support Brigade as well. Backwoods Home is an amazing publication. If they weren't, I wouldn't have been their customer this long. It's great today that I can work with people like Dave Duffy and John Silvera, Masada Yub, and Jackie Clay, knowing that you know after reading them all those years, they're now part of what I do. It's just awesome. If you check out Backwoods Home, what you'll find is a publication, sort of kind of like Grit, sort of kind of like Mother Earth News, with a lot more homesteading stuff in it, and with a libertarian flair. Check out BackwoodsHome.com today, and you'll see why I've been their customer for so very long. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. Again, the year 1742, because the episode is 1742. I have Using Math to Shoot People into Space. I also have Good Cooking is Just a Matter of Altitude, and I have a lynching is headed our way. If you've ever wondered where the term lynch mob comes from, you might want to read that. Good Cooking is Just a Matter of Altitude. You can probably figure that out. You know, you guys in Denver have to adjust the temperatures of a lot of things you do with your cooking. But I'm going to use using math to shoot people into space. Again, every episode we have a segment on the year that was the episode from Alex Shrugged at TSPWiki.com. Galileo and Newton realized that air drag is a factor in determining where a cannon shot will land, but until now there's been no way to accurately determine how much powder is needed, the proper shape of a cannon shot, length of a cannon, or even why a rifled gun is more accurate than a smoothbore. Now a small book entitled New Principles of Gunnery provides the needed formulas. Benjamin Robbins uses a pendulum-like device to determine the velocity of cannonballs. And he uses an early wind tunnel to measure air drag. He mounts various shapes at the end of a stick attached to an axle and spun as weight falls. This is not a propeller. Even though the ball may present the same surface area to the wind as a cube of the same size, they each have radically different measurable drag. With these measurements and many others, Newton's formulas are adjusted to take drag into account. Now they can kill more people using less ammunition. It's a more efficient that way. Uh, my take by Alex Shrug. Speaking of air drag, the winner of the X Prize for launching a man into space was won by the airplane designer Bert Rutan. He didn't see a need for fancy and expensive wind tunnels. He had someone drive his pickup truck very fast while he heard ver held various models of Spaceship One out the window. He also realized that a reentry didn't require a heat shield. He designed a changeable wing that could have one wing profile going up and another coming down. Thus, he could go from straight up he could go straight up very fast three gravities and come down slowly enough to call it flying rather than falling concurrently SpaceX Corporation and Orbital ATK are running resupply missions to the International Space Station and there's more to come it's working quote a lot of people want to fly in space and they think that our government is working to make it hopefully in their lifetimes cheap enough for them to fly in space when indeed they're not Unless guys like me go out and do this, it will not get done. Period. Bert Rattan. Um, wow. I, you know, I, a lot of times I read all three segments deeply and think about which one's going to go in the episode. Today I just kind of picked one off the cuff because I'm so far behind with being out of town and messing up my knee and all. Um, but wow, this is so perfect for today. This is so perfect for today. Uh, first of all, I kind of want to point out that when I was reading this, before I even read the Alex Shrug's take, it, it amazes me that in the past we were so missing reality that we couldn't do something akin to uh, what Rutan did, which is you know holding models out of the window of a pickup truck. Now, I, I, I get that there was no such thing as a pickup truck in 
in uh, the, the 1700s. You could drive 70 miles an hour and hold a model out of. But there was wind, and human beings are, are sensitive enough creatures that you think that the concept that different objects would move differently through space in an atmosphere would be something that they would snap to. Like little kids figure this out. Like if you've ever thrown uh, a piece of paper, you can ball it up lightly or ball it up tightly and it will go further because you've changed its configuration and shape even though its weight is the same. You've, you've, you've reconfigured the density and the aerodynamics of it. And it just seems like, you know, really it took this long for people to even figure out that that had to go into the calculation. Now working out the math is different, but like someone should have been a little bit further along with this one to me any, anyway. But, Today's show, Emancipate Yourself, we're going to use the word anarchy in it. And whenever you use the word anarchy or even libertarian, people say, but without government, how would we? I think what you're seeing SpaceX doing right now is an example of, well, here's how we would. Here's how we would. I mean, of all the things government's done, and I'm being, I'm not being uh, facetious here at all. I'm being dead, absolutely dead serious right now. Of all the things that our government has done in 200 plus years of its existence, the, the concept of putting human beings into outer space to going so far as to land human beings on another planet, because that's, to me, that's what a moon really is. It's another, planet's not the right word, okay? Another, another world. Another world. Its own entity that exists out there, the moon. And having them walk around on that surface, examine it, pick up pieces of it, and come home is amazing. It, it mean, for someone that dislikes government, to look at something like that is difficult because you have to acknowledge this was an incredible accomplishment. And if there was ever anything you'd say, well, we, you know, without the government, it couldn't be done, you would think going to space would be one of them. And while SpaceX hasn't been to the moon yet, I really think they might be to the Mars before any government goes to Mars. Just something to think about. My take by Jack Spierko. Uh, with that, let's get into the, uh, the, the main topic of today's show. Um, again, today's show is called Emancipate Yourself. And what did it for me is yesterday I kind of took uh, an email from someone who had said that lately I'd been saying something that... Actually, he really resonated with, but some people were like, Jack's now a bush hippie or something, and you know, Jack's changed and whatever. And what I said is, that's not new. That's from episode 137. Well, somebody that listened to the show yesterday went back to that episode and found that quote and did it up for us on SoundForge or something like that. And I want to do right now is I want to actually just play this for you. This is from... Uh, 2009, episode 137 of the Survival Podcast. The audio quality is about to drop because, yeah, this is from the uh, 2006.5 Jetta TDI mobile studio that I used to drive every day from Arlington to Frisco. But here we go, Jack Spierko from the past. The way to rebel in this country isn't with a ballot box. And it isn't with a rifle. The ballot box is a fool's errand, and the rifle is a sentence to death. Now, maybe a situation will change. Maybe it will be a time for the American people to take up arms, to defend ourselves. 
not saying that's not the case. I'm saying that, that marching on Washington with an armed force to take over the government is going to get everybody that does it dead very, very quickly. But the way to revolt successfully is through actions, deeds, and independence. Declare your individual independence today. Now, I want to say something. Um, this isn't like, nah, nah, see, I told you. There's actually a, a very uh, good reason that I, I played that for you uh, that's, that's not a, a Jack saying, I told you so. It's because... It is the entire reason that I decided for today's subject. I, uh, I'm way behind with everything, guys. I, I started recording the show today at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Generally, uh, even when I get started a little bit late, I'm done by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So between tearing up my knee out in California, and it's, it's muddy and rainy and nasty here, and just I'm also sick. I, I picked up something out there. I'm, like, all congested in the chest, and, um, it, you know, it's just kind of in a funk from all this. I didn't know what I was going to do today, and I didn't know what I was going to do the show on today at noon. I still wasn't sure what what was my subject going to be today. I knew I didn't want to do two feedback shows in a day in a row. I don't have enough uh, material from the council to do you know what we should do on a Thursday. Uh, I didn't have the energy to do a call in show today because those take actually a lot more work than I think most people realize. So I was going to do a standalone show. I got an email from this this gentleman that put this little excerpt up, and I thought. That original show that that quote was in was about freeing yourself. It was about individual secession from the systems. And, and that's what I want to talk about today, setting yourself free. Um, and I'm going to do it in a little bit different of a way because, again, that was from 2009. This is 2016. Can you believe that's seven years ago that I, I did that show? Uh, for those of you that were around back when I did it, there is a little bit different about my message, I guess, today. When I went and listened to that show, I listened to the show while I was getting ready, I realized the first half of it was all political nonsense. Uh, even though I told you there was no help in politics, hope in politics, I talked about it a lot more. And I said things like, you know, call your senator, call your congressman, shut down whatever nonsense they were doing back then. And the reality is it didn't get shut down, and a lot of you did call your congressman, and it didn't matter. They didn't care. They didn't care, and they weren't going to care. So... I want to kind of point out that the message is the same, except I've, I, I, I've always been about solutions, but I'm now more about actual solutions that actually work, that you can actually do, that actually matter, that are in your circle of influence. And the other thing I've done is I've changed a word. I used to call myself a libertarian, and now I call myself an anarchist. And for many people, that that's just a huge uh, transformation. But the actual message works for both anarchism, libertarianism, and even people that still consider themselves small government Republicans or whatever it is, or classic liberals, or whatever you, you, you think you are that, in a system that threw you overboard long ago. The, the core message still works. So I don't want to let the word anarchism kind of throw you in what I'm about to say. And I am, for those of you that like politics, I'm even going to talk a little bit about politics today, um, but more in the lesson that we learn from observing what's going on Uh, because there still is choice, and it's just that the choice is different versions of the same thing, but there's some odd versions that, that are legitimate frontrunners this year. So I'll talk about that in a second, but I want to do something I've actually never done in my life before. I want to quote Joseph Stalin. Yes, Joseph Stalin. Now, 
I have a reason for this. I don't think I've become a, a Marxist or anything. I would be a hell of a move from anarchism to Marxism, which are polar opposites. Um, in fact, the quote I'm going to read to you is Joseph Stalin basically making that point. In, in an interesting way, though. Here's the quote. The point is that Marxism and anarchism are built upon entirely different principles, in spite of the fact that both come into the arena of the struggle under the flag of socialism. The cornerstone of anarchism is the individual whose emancipation, according to its tenets, is the principal condition for the emancipation of the masses, the collective body. According to the tenets of anarchism, the emancipation of the masses is impossible until the individual is emancipated. Accordingly, its slogan is, everything for the individual. The cornerstone of Marxism, however, is the masses whose emancipation, according to its tenets, is the principal condition for the emancipation of the individual. That is to say, according to the tenets of Marxism, the emancipation of the individual is impossible until the masses are emancipated. Accordingly, its slogan is everything for the masses. About the only thing I disagree with here, and I'm off the quote now, is that anarchism is under the flag of socialism. Okay, In a true anarchy, words like capitalism, socialism, and even con uh, communism are adjectives. They're not systems of control. And thereby we render them moot in the way that they're used in common language. In other words, I have no problem with communism as an adjective. Communism is an adjective as you and me and five other people get together and decide that we're going to have a common initiative and then we're going to split everything equally among that and we're going to, amongst ourselves, enforce that on a voluntary basis. That's communism. That's pure communism. There's no, I have nothing wrong with that. I, I, I don't have any problems with that. I, I highly doubt that any of you have problems with that form of communism because, again, it's an adjective and it's voluntary. And it's not a system of control. It's a system of, of governance by choice, which is anarchy. Isn't that crazy that you can actually have an anarchy that's communist? As well as something like capitalism. Okay, So capitalism is, is something largely misunderstood because people see it as a system of control, which is unfortunately, as a fascist state that we're in today, is exactly what it is. Capitalism today can really be defined by... Control of the capital itself. The, the central banks are capitalist entities, private entities that control the creation of the money itself. And most of us that would call ourselves capitalist as an adjective don't like the fact that the central banks, under the protection of government, while also being wholly private industries, are able to actually create and expand and contract the monetary supply. But that's pure capitalism if you have a capitalistic system of control in a fascist economy, which is what we have. okay. But capitalism, to most of you, what it means is being able to start a business, being able to create value and exchange it with other people, and, and, and receive the value you've created back to you. That's capitalism as an adjective. Any system that actually seeks to control the masses under the banner of freeing them, really is a status system. So I'd like to restate all that crap that Joseph Stalin said in, in just two sentences. Because that's what Jack does. I, I take all the stuff, and even when it's an accurate point, boil it down to the no-bullshit version. 
So here's my no, shit, no bullshit version of this. And what I've done is I've changed the word Marxism to statism. Because all Marxism is, is the purest form of statism. Before I give you my quote, I actually want to say that. Marxism is the purest form of statism. And all other forms of statism, even you know, starting the furthest away, maybe being libertarianism, are just forms of this type of collective thinking, and the natural progression forward is a Marxist system. Now, to me, the biggest political con that's occurred in the history of mankind is a belief that socialism and communism are different. And even very conservative economists teach that communism and socialism are different. It's like saying that uh, stage 1 cancer and stage 5 cancer are different. Well, they, 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 they are, but they're not. If you have, let's say stage with, with communism and socialism, let's say stage 4 and stage 5 cancer. If you have stage 4 liver cancer, and if you have stage 5 liver cancer, either way, in the end, you're dead. And they're the same thing. One's just less advanced than the other. All Marxism is socialism taken forward to its purest form. And all forms of statism follow that path. I, I, I know you don't want to hear this, many of you. I, I know you don't like hearing this. But it's true. And, and I kind of defy you to prove that it isn't. Because one of the things that the Democratic Socialist following Bernie Sanders will tell you is, you all have socialism right now, stop being afraid of it. If, if I saw one stupid meme, it said, if you have a, a Social Security card, you are literally a card-carrying socialist. That's a stupid meme. Uh, because Social Security is a system I don't want to be part of, that I have to participate in at the point of a gun where I will have some of my proceeds given back to me in the future, but the people that took it can always change the rules as to how that works. And I have no choice and no ability to abstain from it. So I know exactly what socialism is, and I know that we do have socialism in this country right now, and we have for a very, very long time. And any system of statism is a system of socialism. It's just, how much cancer do you have? So when it comes to getting rid of it, well, how much of the cancer would you like out of your body? Now, we can't do this, and this is the one more thing I want to say before I give you my version of the Stalin quote. That those of you that are like, well, how would we in, a, in an anarchist system, or even a libertarian system, uh, fill in the blank, whatever it is you're worried about. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, because we're not even going to have the opportunity, while all of us are still breathing, to find out. Because we're not going to have one as a totality. We're going to have to build parallel systems and figure that shit out on our own. And we're going to be interfered with all the way along the way. But I want to say this right now, and I'll be finishing with it. A corrupt system is not an excuse for inaction. Okay? So here's my version of this quote. According to statism, the emancipation of the individual is impossible until the masses are emancipated. While according to anarchism, the emancipation of the masses is impossible until the individual is emancipated. In other words, in any system of statism, any system of governance that has a central authority that controls individuals against their will, when they are not harming anyone or anything other than themselves or not even doing that, is saying that we need to protect the freedom of the collective at the expense of the individual. 
where people that truly believe in liberty understand without the individual having complete and total freedom, until such time as they actually harm or interfere with someone else's freedom, we cannot have freedom at all. So while Stalin and I have vastly different interpretations of that, Joseph Stalin and I would, if he was still around, agree that I believe that it is impossible for the masses to be free if the individual is enslaved. Now, I'm going to tell you today how to develop freedom for yourself, but I want to talk about something else that is political in nature. And every time I do this, people think I'm backing one of these candidates. But I'm observing my people, my nation, America, look to these people for answers and, and sell themselves to one or the other. So I'd like to talk real quick about the phenomenon of Trump and Sanders. Trump and Sanders are two sides of the same coin. They, they're both candidates that are popular because they've successfully marketed themselves as not part of the establishment, when both of them are the establishment. They just have different marketing. But what's interesting is how the press is opposed to both of them. When if we were to believe what we're supposed to believe about the press, they're extremely liberal. They're, they're dadgone commies for Pete's sake. You would think they would be, you know, forget what they would do with Trump. You would think they would be in a love affair with Bernie Sanders. You think they would just be cuddling up to him and loving on him and making big old Bernie teddy bear out of him. But the press has clearly favored Hillary Clinton. Now, I'm not saying she's not a socialist either, but her marketing is nowhere near as pure toward the Marxist state that, that Bernie Sanders is. But he's a democratic socialist. Oh my God. If there's a bigger con job than socialism and communism really being radically different. We just call the people that kill their people more frequently communists and the people that only kill the people that really resist socialists, right? But they're doing the same thing, okay? We split that way. But, but convincing people there's a difference between socialism and democratic socialism is just so stupid. It's beyond stupid. Um, but yet, the, the press has, has embraced Hillary... And believe it or not, the press has really embraced Cruz and Rubio over Trump. Because who do they go negative on? Now, they like making money off Trump. That's one thing Trump and I agree upon. But this is what I noticed today. Donald Trump is smarter than he's given credit for. Donald Trump is beginning to roll out a marketing message that is exactly what right-wing radio has said Republicans should do for the last 15, 20 years. I believe this is what Trump is going to do. I believe Trump is going to be the first candidate, and I've heard Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, all kinds of guys talk about this, to put together the dream team. To say, who's going to be his secretary of, of education? Who's going to be you know, his secretary of state? Who he's going to put in charge of, of economics and finance? And he actually to lay it out. And many of the people he's been fighting with will be on that team. I believe that's going to happen, and I believe it's going to work. I could be wrong. If I am, I'm not going to cry over it, but I, I'm seeing inklings of this, and yet I'm seeing the media just constantly try to make a case. Like I saw this morning when I, I, I tortured myself and watched Fox News while I iced my knee down and uh, thought maybe the pain of listening to it would distract from the pain of my knee. kind of worked. 
But I, I, I listened to Trump talk about how in this recent debate, which I didn't watch, that he and, and Cruz are the only people that mathematically can win the nomination at this point. And the crowd booed him, and then they, they started picking that apart and all, and, oh, you know, why is he saying this? Well, he said it because it's true. I mean, there, there's no Kasich, there's no Rubio. It's not happening. It's, it's all down to Cruz and Trump. So he's even attacked for speaking the truth. And all it's doing is fueling the fire. And if you start to understand this dynamic, that, that, that people are beginning to actually cross the line, and because the, the, there's been these Trump fanatics since day one, right? Just because he's different. But people are beginning to like listen to the guy and actually go over. Now, on the other side, I, I don't think it's going to work for Sanders. I think you're going to see Trump v. Clinton in the uh, in the general election. And I can see a meme right now. Someone will create it. It'll be, if you had to choose between Stalin and, and, and Hitler, who would you pick? And then if somebody's saying, that's ridiculous, it'll never happen, and then just Trump v. Clinton, okay? Uh, I'm not saying Trump is is Hitler or uh, or Stalin. I'm just saying that I could see that meme coming up and, and making a point. But what this all has to do with for most Americans who really know better, those of you that are like, I, I want to listen to what Jack says on this. I want to quit partaking in this political nonsense system, but I can't let go, is you're somewhere in the five stages of grief. The five stages of grief are... Uh, made famous for how we deal with grief, especially with death, uh, especially a person that's told, well, you have cancer, sir, and you have six months to live. And the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And many Americans know the truth that your vote doesn't count, that all of this is manipulated and controlled. And the system threw you out. It's a big club, and in the words of George Carlin, you're not in it. They know it. But they sit in, in, in the, the most unproductive, the absolute most unproductive state. This is denial. This is denial. But a candidate like Don Trump, Donald Trump is truly capitalizing on anger. People that feel they have been thrown out. But they haven't, they're nowhere near acceptance of that yet. And I think what, if you wanted me to describe in, in, in a way you'd never hear on television what the Trump strategy is, is, well, all the people in denial are either Democrats or Republicans. And if we win the nomination, as long as we can fire them up enough to get them to show up, we get all the Republicans and we split the independents with whoever's on the other side. So we, we build our strategy for that. So that's denial people. The anger people are, are, if they're, if they're Democrats, they're going to go Democrat hard. And if they're Republicans, they're going to go hard. So let's capture the anger. Now the bargaining people. The people who are beginning to progress forward, but won't let go. Like it's all a scam, but maybe, maybe this time's different. Maybe, maybe announce, let's get the, and I think the Trump strategy of attracting the bargaining people from both sides, very, very effective. And then depression. People have given up. People are close to just going, doesn't matter. But they, they love the idea of America so much. And they've connected the idea of America to the politics of America in a way they just aren't ready to separate them from each other yet, we'll get those depression people. We'll get those depression people. We'll 
reinstill enough belief in them to make them bargain. And that will make them feel a little better and pull them out of their depression. And we can rally them to our side and we can win. Because the people that have accepted, you're not getting them. Neither side's getting them. None of these people are getting them. They're too busy out there getting shit done. Now, I, I would submit to you that that's a way of analyzing the politics of America that you've probably never heard before. But I'd ask you, where are you? Are you angry? I used to be very angry. And I think if anything has changed about the Jack Spirico you hear behind the microphone on these subjects since 2008 to 2016, these eight years, is that my anger skipped right over bargaining, right over depression, because I was so fired up about what I was doing and getting things done and helping other people get things done, that I went from anger to acceptance. And I think probably I was, when you heard the anger, I was, and I think people naturally bounce between the three, the anger, bargaining, depression, anger, bargaining, depression, and it bounce, 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 bounce. And you, it, there's like, you need like an escape command to get from that, that trio out to the acceptance. Now, when you're faced with your own mortality or the mortality of a loved one, there's a, a finality attached to it that forces you out, that is the escape. But when it's something like accepting the fact that you really aren't in charge of your own country, that they really are going to do whatever they want, that electing a new person isn't really going to make things better or change things, that your nation is going to stay on its current path, that finality, instead of being a motivational thing that says I need to accept it so I can get on with doing stuff, you know, I can, I can say, okay, if I only got six months to live, how many months do I have of quality living? Oh, shit. Three, two and a half, three. I better book that skydiving trip, right? The finality here is is frightening because it makes you feel like you have no control. Where a person dealing with these stages of grief in a situation that's like about mortality is they realize their only control is to take control of the end. But here it's like, well, what control do I have? Well, guys, get busy living or get busy dying because the ass clown circus is just a whole bunch of sad people slowly dying, their spirits being crushed. And their energy being sucked. I mean, and that's, that's what politics is today. It's a bunch of energy vampires sucking your energy and your quality of life into a, a debate that doesn't matter. And, and I gotta tell you why I think the individually seceding from the systems, individual secession, individual self-designated emancipation is the only answer. The, f the first and primary reason that's undeniable, if you'll be honest, If you'll be honest and stop using words like liberty and freedom as marketing words and actually meaningful words is most people don't want freedom. Most people do not want freedom. If you want to control the way other people live when they're not harming you, you are not pro-freedom. You are pro your type of control. If you want other people's stuff so that you can advance in life in some meaningful way with some misguided belief that that's better for everybody, then you don't want freedom. So the, the, the Sandersites that want to have free college and make the case, well, America would be better off if we had free college, regardless of the logic in that, you don't want freedom. Because freedom would mean that you are free to figure out how to get your ass through college or fail. And that it's nobody's responsibility but yours, 
and people who choose to be involved with what you're doing to get that done. You might actually logically figure out that college is overpriced and that is enabled by a corrupt system of student loans and that a candidate like Sanders is simply using that corruption to capitalize on anger and bargaining to make the college student who just graduated with $80,000 in debt think if we ever get free college, somebody's going to take care of your loan. They're not going to take care of your loan. Even if we ever get to like free college, the first thing will be what Obama proposed, right? It would be free two-year education. That's what, that's what they would do first. And, and, and that doesn't mean they're going to wipe out your loans. And even if they got to a point where, like, like, you know, like they say these European countries where anybody can go to the university for free, even if they ever did that, um, all of you that owe money, you're still going to pay it. It's never going to go away. They'll garnish your Social Security wages. Stop bargaining. Accept reality. And those of you that say, see, this is where, this is where I think we have this, this massive divide uh, of reality between the left and the right, where both are caught in very, very clear unrealities, very clear false realities. What the people on the right generally say is nobody made these kids take these loans. Nobody made them go that much into debt and then study something stupid, you know, like, like gender studies or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they did. The average person that goes to college today is generally what you'd call a good kid. Not all of them, but most of them overall would be the good kid. The kid that basically does their homework, follows the rules, stays out of jail, doesn't get brought home to mom and dad by the police. They don't have large disciplinary files in, in, in their high school. They may have gotten a, in school detention or something or suspension once in a while here or there. But overall, they were good kids. And they got what they thought was success because everybody told them what to do. They did it. They got the right grades. They studied for a test. They got the right numbers at the end of the test. They applied for colleges that they were told to apply for. And then mom and dad, teacher, and they actually, do you know, do you know that high schools actually recruit speakers to come in and tell kids how important college is and to do whatever it takes to get there and stuff like that? I know because at one time I was actually approached with that and I was like, even then, even all wrapped up in the system, I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, well, why not? Like, because I have a, a, a VP of, of sales position with one of the largest companies in North America, and uh, I've never been to college, so I'm not going to tell them they have to go. Oh, okay. Right? So how did they get this debt? They were told by people they trusted to do it, and it would all be okay. And parents are still doing it to their kids. Now, if you want to make the case that their parents are largely responsible for this debt, I, I think you can to a degree. But they were brought up in the same system that told them the same thing. And when they graduated in the 1980s or early 90s, the parents that are sending kids to college today, that's when they graduated, the college education was a third to a quarter to even 20% of what it is today. Starting salaries were about the same for many people. So the parents followed the rules and it sort of worked for them so it's logical to believe it would work for their children. The system tricked them, but the kids themselves, their parents told them to do it. And, and before you say something stupid like, that's still their fault, they're adults. When you were 17, 18 years old and your parents gave you advice, even if you didn't take it, did you trust that they were, they were giving you the best advice they could under the circumstances? And in many cases, I think the answer would be yes, if we're honest. So we have a system that creates slavery that people are still willingly embracing. And instead of saying, we need to opt out of the system, what we're trying to do is fix the broken system. And that's proof that people want control in their life. Why would you want a system that requires a person 
to spend four years to get a piece of paper, to qualify to get a job that the degree generally doesn't actually train them how to do, unless you wanted to be controlled, unless you wanted a system of controls. But college is about the experience, man. No, it's not. That's not how it's marketed. That's not how you get someone into $80,000 worth of debt for a degree in marketing or communications. It's about getting a good job and going further in your career and stop saying anything different because it was how it was marketed to me when I was 17 years old, and that was an awful long time ago. That's exactly how it's been marketed. College hasn't been about the experience and uh, experiencing life and, and, and all of the things that, that people try to rebut that objection with since, like, the 1920s. It really hasn't. And that's when only a few people went. Out of, out of, you know, out of, out of ten people in a, in a, in a grade school, two or three went. Maybe. Maybe. And that ratio is probably not wrong. I know you think it is, but that's because most people don't want freedom. The other reason that the only, the only solution is individual secession is no one can free you. It's all up to you to free yourself. No one can pronounce you free and actually have it mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Unless you embrace it. Let's look at what people think of when they hear the word emancipation. The slaves. Lincoln emancipated the slaves. Lincoln pro proclaimed that all slaves within the United States, including the South, that was at war with the North, were free. The proclamation meant nothing. Because the southern states that had seceded said it doesn't matter. So someone else saying it didn't matter. Ah, but Jack, when the war ended... And the noble North won, and they took over, and they reestablished the Union, and they said to the slaves, you are free. Then it meant something. Only to the people who chose to act upon their new freedom. And many didn't. Many actually ended up, I'm not making a case for slavery, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Many of them actually ended up from a quality of life worse off five years into freedom. Because they didn't act on their freedom. This is also not their fault. When you are into generational servitude and no one you know has ever known anything but, it's awful hard to become free. That's us today. We're in the same place. I'm telling you, most people, if you said, okay, you're now in charge, no one can tell you what to do, do whatever you want, wouldn't know what to do. So we have to free ourselves. And it's the only thing you actually control. Any belief that you can enhance your own freedom and liberty because of what you get somebody else to do is sadly misleading. It is up to us who actually believe in freedom and liberty to smartly, so we don't end up in jail or prison or worse, drag the system toward liberty, not to go into the system and try to push it toward liberty. The system's like a giant blob. Okay, If you can tie a rope around it and you start dragging it, you can slowly inch it along and loop, loop, loop a little at a time. But if you go inside the blob and you push, as soon as you don't have time to push anymore, the blob just kind of falls back in on you. And that's where so many people are today that think they're fighting for liberty. They're, they're pushing the blob. It's like the Battle of the Bulge, but it doesn't end. Right, The big old bulge comes out. And then it just collapses back onto itself. And you can't actually move it. You actually have to get outside of the blob to move the blob. So how do we create individual freedom? I think the first thing we have to do is start with mental freedom. 
it is amazing to me how many people use words like freedom and liberty that are absolutely mentally controlled. And I'm not talking about conspiracy theory level mental control and everybody's stupid but me. I'm just talking about it's common observations where somebody will say, well, we can't have that, whatever it is. I won't even put a pet issue in there because it always clouds people's judgment. But when you say, tell me why we can't have that, it's either because the Bible says so. Okay, great. Well, that means you shouldn't have that because you believe the Bible. What about all these other people that don't? Where's the victim in this? We have to have morality. Okay, how do you define morality? And it's back to some kind of a religious thing or something like that. But how does this hurt you or anybody else? Who's un in involuntarily being required to participate in this thing? They don't really know. And they have a knee-jerk reaction. It must be bad. It must be horrible. Because they were told that it's bad. Or the, the converse is a knee-jerk reaction that it must be good. This person is a soldier. Oh, they're a hero. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that a person is a hero because they were a soldier. There are a lot of soldiers who have done very heroic things. And they should be honored and respected for the very heroic things that they've done. And many of them have been put in positions where they've had to do things that I wish they had not had to do. But in the end, they're also victims of the system. They, they believe in what they're doing. And when one man risks his life for another human being, Any human being risks their life for another human being. It, it's the very definition of heroism to me. But just because a person served doesn't mean they did it heroically. There were people in my unit that we collectively referred to as shitbags. I talked about that recently when I read a letter by you know a now um, slandered, maligned, so-called traitorous member of our uh, military who used the term shitbags. And I said, it's important that you know, no matter what you think of this individual... Um, good, bad, or indifferent, that you know that that's not like his word. That's a, that's a common word. And, and people said it's not just a soldier's word. That One guy commented on the blog and said, I was in the Navy. That's a word we use too. I imagine people like the Marine Corps and uh, the Air Force use that word or a similar word to describe people that suck ass. So is the guy in his unit who every other member said, that guy's a shitbag, a hero, just because he was a soldier? But we have this like... This, this mental uh, acceptance that it must be true because we were told to. That anybody who wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance is some kind of traitor or hates America. That it's impossible that someone could have a coherent, logical reason to not say what amounts to a prayer to the state written by a socialist whose uncle ran a flag factory. Did you, did you know that? Right? That's the truth. The Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag was written by a card-carrying socialist whose uncle owned a flag factory and was lobbied and gotten into place in America for the purpose of, of his uncle selling flags to schools. Because if you can sell a flag to every school in America, you're doing okay. And to think that somebody might say, you know what, given that's the case... Given the original salute to the flag was actually the same exact salute the Nazis used, I, I, I don't want to be part of that. Now, my personal opinion is there's, there's logic on both sides of the argument. There's, there's a value in having honor and sincerity and, 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 and saying something's more important than yourself. And I can see why people are very enamored with our flag and allegiance to the flag, not the people that run the country. And I can see 
a very clear reason why some people would feel the other way. That's because I'm mentally liberated. It doesn't even matter what side I come down on. The fact that I can actually see that there can be people with good reasons on both sides means I have mental clarity. Where if you have a knee-jerk reaction that everybody on the side that you're not on is wrong, it means you're mentally controlled. You have no mental freedom. You have no mental sovereignty. So start with your mind. Next, decide for yourself what it is you want to know. I mean, most people in, a, in the world today are like baby birds in a nest with their mouth open begging for the media or their alternative media or whatever their source of information is to puke what they want down their throat. Gimme, 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 mommy. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Ah, blah, down the throat it goes. What people need to be doing is decide for themselves, what do I want to learn today? What do I want to know today? What do I think is important? What do I find unimportant? And stop worrying about what I think is important. Worry about what you think is important. Do you know how, how sad it is that I'll say, I don't think this is important, and like 50 people will attack me for it? Why do you care? Why do you care that I think something's unimportant that you find is important? If you think it's important, go make a case for it. Go work on it. Go learn about it. Go research it. Go investigate not only your side of it, but the oppositional side of it. Find reality there. Don't get upset that someone else is not involved. Because every, every speck of energy you spend attacking me for saying what you think is important isn't, or what I say is important you don't think is, you're wasting that energy. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your effort. You're wasting the finite time you have on this planet. Because you're, you're more worried about resisting someone else's viewpoint than proving your own. And think really hard about what I'm about to say. Because it's the number one way that we are mentally controlled today. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you control that which you don't. That is the number one way that you're controlled in America today. You've been convinced by society that you have control over things you have no control over. That way you'll spend your energy and your time on those things that you have no control over, and thereby you will let go and you will give up control of the things in your life you could have control over. That is the, that is, if you want to enslave a people, think about that. Think about if, if you said to yourself, I want to conquer this, this group of individuals over here. I want them to do my bidding, but I don't want them to know that they're slaves. Because if they know they're slaves, they're going to expect me to provide 100% of their housing and their food and everything else like that. And then they're also going to see me as the enemy and, and secretly long for their freedom. So what I actually want to do is I want to convince them that they're free, yet I want to control them. Don't you think like the best thing you could do is to come up with a whole bunch of shit that they actually have no control over and convince them that those are the most important things for them to worry about and that if they really believe in their hearts, if they really pray hard enough, if they really try hard enough, if they really work hard enough at those things, that they can change them. And wouldn't that just take them away from everything they actually do control? And there you could just go ahead and take over those aspects of their lives. And they would become convinced eventually that they need you for those things. And on the other side of it, they would be convinced that things that the reason they're unhappy, the reason they have anger, depression, and bargaining, and denial, is because of the things you've convinced them are important. So they would never get to acceptance. Because they would keep trying to make their life better by focusing on the things they have no control over, 
while you control all the things they should have control over. If you've made it with me this far, there's a bunch of hairs right now, and if you've never been here before, though, there's a bunch of hairs right now sticking up on the back of your neck, going, holy shit, this redneck duck farmer from Texas is right. That is how it works. That's exactly what they've done. And the reason you feel that way, you're, you're, you're heading toward acceptance. Maybe you started out a couple hours ago in denial or anger, and you're just going right past bargaining and depression. Be warned. Be warned. You will find yourself doing it. I was listening to, to Donald Trump's shit today and thinking, ah, he sucks, but maybe, maybe. And every time I use the word maybe, I should have been shocking myself with a shock collar. There's no maybe. There's no his bargaining. Bargaining leads to depression. You got to stick with acceptance, guys. But that's how you control people. That's how you control people. You convince them that they control what they don't, so they abdicate control over what they do. So don't deceive yourself into thinking you control that which you don't, and focus on what you do control. Define your version of success and shoot for that. Most people in our country today, and most people in developed countries today, have been told what success looks like. This is a successful person. They drive a car of at least this quality. They live in a house of at least this size. Their kids go to a school like this. They have a full-time job. They're saving 10% of their pay for their retirement. They're going to retire with Social Security and investments and 401Ks and IRAs. And they're going to look like this. And one day, after they've worked really hard, they'll roll up their pant legs, they'll take the hand of their, their spouse with silver gray hair and they'll look healthy. They'll be, they'll be 68 or 70, but they'll, they could look like they could pass for 52. And they'll walk along the beach and they'll live the rest of their lives completely happy. First of all, that may not be your definition of success. You may want to start walking down the beach like now, okay? You might have a complete different version of what a nice car is. You might want to beat up old pickup, pickup truck just because you like it. It's because it fits you. You might not want to go to college. You might not want to take loans out. You might not want a house that looks like a typical suburban house. That might be hell for you. Well, accept that. And, and, and map out what does success look like in your life. And then pursue that. And judge your, judge your path towards success, your progress towards success, based on your own definition of it. Because I'll tell you what, if you wait till you're 72 to have silver hair and walk down the beach... You might never walk down the beach. Or you might walk down the beach alone. Or somebody might roll you to the beach. You might look at it and wish that other person was with you. And it's all because you're letting the world tell you what is successful and what isn't. Instead of looking at the world and saying, to be successful in this world, to accept the interactive edge, to accept the things I cannot change, to be successful in it, how must I design my life? And you wonder why you're miserable. Because you're letting somebody else tell you what success is. Also, please become economically literate. I, I see it on both sides. I see people making fun of Sanders supporters and being so technically inaccurate about economics. It it's not that the Sanders supporter doesn't have a clue about economics either. But the person taunting them doesn't. I mean, at least teach yourself one word a day that applies to economic thinking whether it's a, a purist economic system, you know, what is what is a 
a, a laissez-faire capitalist system. What does that really mean? Don't don't worry about what they told you it meant in, in, in eighth grade civics class or whatever, uh, if you can still remember what they told you. But actually, what is it? Where, where does the concept come from? Or just a, a simple term, like what is a put? What is a call? What is a short? What is long? What exactly is an option? What is a derivative? And once you know what a put and a call is, what's the difference between a covered put and a covered call and a naked put and a naked call? If you just start to learn the definitions of these words, you'll start looking at the people talking on like CNN Money and whatever, and you'll be thinking they say blah, 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 marketing word, blah, 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 marketing word, blah, 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 marketing word, blah, 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 reaction. And you'll start hearing the actual things that are going on and how ludicrous some of it is. But become economically literate. There's no way you can live in our modern world and actually have freedom without being economically literate because economics are the number one means of control in our society today. Not law, not government, economics. That's, that's the very, and again, we're back to fascism. Fascism is, a, is, yes, a system of control, but it uses economics and class division as its primary system of control. So every time you say, this is class warfare, and think of how many times you see our politicians and our government use class warfare against us, it's a very hallmark of fascism. Somebody asked me today in, a, in an email, said, if you had a true anarchy, would it be a classless society? My response is no. That's what government sells you, that eventually we can become one. It won't be a class. But we have to put the classes at odds to get there. <laughs> the state and industry see themselves as mediators and use the divisions between the classes to further the agenda of the state and industry. That is the textbook version of fascism. That's where you're at. So you have to become economically literate because you can see it because only by seeing it can you let go of this false belief. And only by that can you liberate yourself. Next, put yourself and your family first. I know that sounds like common sense, and I know most people think they do, but most people don't. They have misguided senses of loyalty to either a political party or the nation itself, and they actually put that ahead of their children. Put your children first. Because when you take your child and force them into a university and force them into a life of debt, you're not taking care of your child's needs. You're actually taking care of the needs of industry and the industry of education and government, the state, that enforces the debt that your child incurs. That's what you've done. You've not put your child first. If you put your child first, you'd say, let's figure out, Johnny, Billy, Susie, Tammy, let's figure out what you most want in life. And let's make a path for you to get there. And let's not let any bullshit get in the way of it. Let's not let anything that's what you're supposedly supposed to have to do get in the way of it. Let's figure out what really gets you there in the best route possible with the least injury potential that mitigates your risks and maximizes your potential for rewards. If you want to be an architect, you got to go to college. Why don't we find out if you really want to be an architect first? Why don't we find a job 
or an apprenticeship or even a free voluntary thing that you can do that exposes you to what architects actually do. So you can determine if that's what you want to do or it sounded cool when somebody talked to you about it at the guidance office. So we mitigate your risk. So you don't end up like my best friend's ex-wife who went to school and spent lots of money to get a degree in architecture. And today she works for a company doing design layouts for closets. Now, I'm sure that her education as an architect, which she's not really an architect because she never apprenticed for the two years and got licensed and all, but she's educated as an architect. She has a degree in architecture. I'm sure that it's in some way beneficial to her job designing closets, but I'm pretty sure there was a less expensive pathway in education to get there. And by the way, I haven't heard anything about this lady in 10 years or more, but last I heard, she actually liked her job and was doing quite well with it but was having trouble servicing all that college loan debt because closet designer doesn't pay the same as architect. So if you actually care about your children and you put them first, you wouldn't shove them into what society says they're supposed to do. You would actually examine their goals, their agendas, their hopes, their dreams, and help them write a pathway to get there that ignores what society says they're supposed to do and focuses only on their goals and agenda. So when I say put yourself and your family first, and you say that's common sense, Unfortunately, common sense isn't very common anymore. And no, that's not what people do. And many of you, it's not what you've done. Don't beat yourself up for it. Fix what you can, accept what you can't, and move on. Acceptance. Get to the final stage of grief. Another thing I want to point out is you should drop any allegiance to blind patriotism. I've talked enough about the basic concept of this today that I'm not going to go long on this, but so many people in this country are blindly patriotic. It's back to the every soldier's a hero thing. But every time we go to war with a country, we must be right. We can be wrong. We have been wrong in the past. There's no reason to believe that we couldn't be wrong in the future. Blind patriotism, what leads to an acceptance that, that dropping bombs on people and burning children is the only thing we can do. We have to do something, and that's the thing we have to do. Sometimes... In this global world we live in, war is inevitable. That one side must go to war to protect itself from the other side. But I think we've had a lot more wars where that's not the case than it is. It's not like I'm a, I'm a, a, a complete pacifist. That if somebody starts dropping bombs on America, we should just sit here and let it happen and do nothing about it. Or if somebody starts invading our country, that we should do nothing about it. Or someone legitimately starts to invade one of our allies that we've pledged to protect that we should just do nothing about it. Again, but Jack, you're an anarchist. Uh, fine, but I'm also a realist and a pragmatist. And I know where we are in the evolution of humanity. And if you're attacked, I believe in defending yourself as an anarchist and as a pragmatist. So there are points, and then horrible things happen in wars that you have to fight. But horrible things happen in every war, so you only should fight a war if you have to. Blind patriotism was what takes us away from that. And when somebody says, I don't think we should do this, they're called un-American. When I think true patriotism is standing for right, standing for morality, even when it's not popular. That's just what I think. And lastly, and this might be the most important thing I'll say to you today, know the difference between responsibilities and excuses. I'm a pretty well-read guy. 
I've read a lot of things that I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that I've read. Maybe not this one because I have said it before, but there's a book by a guy named Richard Bach. And I really recommend you read two books by Richard Bach. Some of his other books, are, eh, I like them, but they're not like, they don't really change your, your view of the world, you know. They kind of build on the two that did and, and create these little fanciful worlds. Bring some unique ideas up and all, but two that really can change the way you think about spirit and humanity. The first is Jonathan Livingston Siegel. That's not where this quote comes from. But I'm, I'm saying that today because if you're going to read Illusions, you need to read Jonathan Livingston Siegel first. Because it will make a lot more sense if you do. Jonathan Livingston Siegel can be read in about an hour. It's a very simple book. I'll put links in the show notes today to both of these books. The second book is called Illusions. Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah. And it's a thought experiment. What would it be like if Jesus came back as somebody else today to, to do what he did back then? To preach, to teach, to heal. And the scenario set up is instead of a carpenter, the Messiah is a guy named Donald Shimoda. And Donald flies airplanes. And Richard's self-directed character, so Richard creates himself as a character in this book, is uh, also a guy that does this. And he's never actually seen anybody else that does. He flies this little biplane around, like a, like a World War One era biplane, lands in the middle of fields and puts up a sign and says, fly for three bucks. So you go give him three bucks, you get his plane, he takes you for a couple-minute ride, and lands, and he, you know, people show up, and that's how he pays for himself to be basically a flying vagabond. He meets Donald one day, And finally he says to Donald, how do you know all these things? How do you have all this wisdom? He goes, when you get the job, they give you a book. Don't be offended if you're a Christian for Pete's sake. When I read this book originally, I was a devout Christian. It didn't offend me because it was a thought experiment. It was a concept. It was fiction. Okay. Anyway, so he says they give you a book when you take the job. He said, a, 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 a book? You know, and Richard, uh, Donald says to Richard, yeah, a book. He just throws it to him. Here, you can have it. And it's like this, this, you know, greasy book from a mechanic that worked on airplanes, fingerprints all over it. And it, it just has a list of sayings. And he looks in it and there's all these different sayings. He goes, there's no, how does this work? He goes, whatever is on your mind, you just open it at random and read it. And whatever's there is the answer to the question that you have. And Richard says, a magic book. And Donald says, no, not a magic book. You can do it with any book if you're open-minded and you read it right. You can do it with a book about Snoopy, and it could still give you answers. So there's all these different sayings that from time to time come up as you read through this narrative, this story. And one of them is, the best way to avoid responsibilities is to say, I've got responsibilities. So <laughs> that's where this comes from. Know the difference between responsibilities and excuses. That's another way of saying the same thing. There's so many people that say, well, I would like to do this. I would like to try that. I would like to start a business. I would like to become more free and independent. I would like to be able to grow my own food. I would like to fill in the blank, right? But I can't because I've got responsibilities, Well, you have a responsibility to be free, to demonstrate freedom to your family and your community. You have a, a, see, those are actually the responsibilities you have as a human being. You have a responsibility to be flipping human and to take your rightful place as a human being with free will. That's responsibility. 
But all these made-up responsibilities that society has assigned to you are very convenient excuses not to do the hard work so that those things can happen, not to make the sacrifices necessary to make those things happen. And the longer you've participated in this illusion, okay, right out of the book, right, the longer you've participated in this illusion that this is what freedom looks like, that this is what a free society is, that this is the way things are supposed to be, that this is a human way to live, that it's a human way to live, to be in debt, to drive a metal box that's a mobile coffin to take you to a place you don't want to go so that you can spend the best part of your life there doing things you don't want to do to climb back into that box that you have to pay a fee to own all the way back to a place, to a home that is not a sanctuary but a liability and you have debt on that for the best part of your life as well. And if you mess up along the way, somebody will take away your metal coffin and your supposed home that you supposedly own and throw you out on the street, and that you have an allegiance to that is an excuse for not figuring out what you really want and going for it. Now, that doesn't mean that you go tell your wife, I'm quitting my job and screw it because Jack said so. Please, listen. If you've participated in that system, there's a cost of extraction. And the deeper you've gone, the deeper the cost. But are you working to stay in the system or extract yourself from it? It's your choice. Do you want to emancipate yourself? No one's purchasing your freedom for you. You're going to have to purchase it for yourself. In some ways, it's a monetary purchase. In some ways, it's a sacrificial purchase. In some ways, it's it's giving up certain comforts for a while to have greater comforts later. You've actually been sold on that whole thing. That's what they've told you. That by doing all the stuff they say to do, one day you'll magically pay off your debts. You know, you'll be retired, you'll have this magical income that will never go away. You'll be able to get an RV or whatever it is you want to do and, and, and have this amazing life. And it seems so far away that you're willing to believe a fantasy. Because if you do the math for most Americans, it ain't happening. It ain't even coming close to happening. So know the difference between responsibilities and excuses. Here's my final thoughts for you today. One, I'll restate, I already said, an unfair system is not an excuse for inaction. I'm so sick of people telling me, but Jack, it's like you said, the system is rigged. There's nothing I can do. Oh, bullshit. Do or do not. No, I won't say the rest of it because I'm not quoting Yoda. I'm telling you the truth. We either do or you don't here. You, you, you can't sit around and blame how corrupt and unfair the system is for not taking the opportunities that are there for you. Except that you can't change society, but you can change yourself. I know that something has been said so many times by so many spiritual people and la-las and whatever that, that it seems to like lose its reality. But it is the only reality. You have complete control over how you think and how you act and how much you care what someone else thinks or says or does. You don't control them, and you never will. You don't control the person two blocks down the street from you. So you certainly don't control a politician. You don't control your senator, you don't control your congressman, you don't control the lobbyists that buy them out. You don't control what time the traffic light's going to turn to green. You don't control anything except yourself. Get with accepting that. Because then you might actually do it. You might actually start exercising control over yourself and you might actually start building yourself a life that you want. You might actually emancipate yourself. You are a human being. Your life matters. Don't waste it. 
Most Americans today that think they're fighting the good fight, that think they're doing the right thing, they're wasting the best years of their lives, including maybe, maybe sadly their entire lives. We have no guarantee that we won't die at 30 or 40 or 50. We don't know that just because the average age is 72 or 78 or whatever it is now that we're going to get there. We don't have any guarantee just because we know people that are in pretty good health in their 80s or even their early 90s that that's going to be us. We don't know. We could be completely healthy and run over by a gravel truck or struck down with a disease or injured. It's something we don't recover from. Every time you see somebody in a wheelchair, think, you know, that could be you. It could be you. You have no guarantees. So while you do have the opportunity, don't waste it. Stop believing in a lie and start pursuing the truth. And even though I just told you you are a human being, and I very much mean that, my final thought to you today is be like the wolf. Some of the things I said today might sound like they're very selfish, but a wolf is not a selfish creature. It's part of a pack. And the alpha wolf, the, 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 the superior wolf, the, the wolf that can tear every other wolf in the pack apart, will risk its life to protect the weakest, to protect the older wolves, to, to protect the children, to protect the pups. Even though amongst its own pack it will have to fight and squabble at times, it will have to assert dominance, and at some point the alpha may actually have to give up dominance to a new alpha who can do a better job. They'll all lay their lives down for each other. They'll all fight for each other. And every single one of them is part of a pack by mutual choice. There's nothing that prevents any wolf from saying, See you guys. I'm going to go it alone. I'm going to be the lone wolf. Or I'm going to go put my own pack together. In fact, it happens. As populations ex expand, it's a natural occurrence that they set up their own packs. And the dominant wolf will lay down its dominance on the weaker. But again, dare you to jack with the weaker around the stronger. That's how we need to be. That's how we need to be. You know, I, I have respect for sheepdog mentality. I mean, in the spirit of the word, I am a sheepdog. I am a person that would protect the weaker. But what it's actually come to mean is protecting a bunch of sheep. A bunch of sheep. Sheep are controlled. People are herded in a flock. Sheep are used to extract wool and milk and meat from. Sheep are farmed. The sheepdogs of today are protecting the sheep and keeping them on the farm. That's not what I want to be. I want to stand first at the side of those who want to stand at my side. If I'm going to risk my life, I want to risk it for the person that would risk theirs to, to protect mine. The solidarity of voluntary choice. That's freedom. Most of your people do not want it. They don't. I so wish they did. But I hope you do. I hope you want to be the wolf. I'm going to close today with a song. I think I've played this one time before, but a very long time ago. 
And this was a song that was made famous by Frank Sinatra, My Way. It might seem like an odd song to finish today's show with, but there's another thing that I said long ago, never really thinking about the song when I did. Will you stand or will you kneel? That in our world today, you have two choices. You can kneel as a slave or you can stand as a freeman. Those are your choices. I'd like to read the last verse of this song for you today. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. And I'd like to ask you right now, a serious gut check. When they lay you to rest, will people look at you and say, he or she was a person that did things their way? Or they were a person that did what they thought they had to do to get along. They followed the rules. They did what society expected of them. Or would they say this was a person who took the blows, not the word, and never used the words of someone who would kneel? And if you kneel for spiritual reasons, I get that. This is kneeling before another man. Kneeling before authority. I'll tell you what. I may not be perfect. I screw a lot of things up. But I definitely am willing to take the blows and do things my way. I hope you are too. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain, my friend. I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived A life that's full I traveled each And every highway And more Much more than this I did it my way Regrets I've had a few But then again Too few to mention I did What I had to do Saw it through Without exemption I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew. Bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up 
got my fill My share of losing And now as tears subside I find it all so amusing To think I did all that And may I say Not in a shy way Oh no Oh no, not me I did it my way For what is a man What has he got If not himself Then he has not To say the things He truly feels And not the words Of one who kneels The record shows I took the blows And did it It was my